This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Glad you're with us. If you're a guest, we're honored to have you today. We are on our GPS series as far as giving, praying, and serving, so we're on prayer again today. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up real high, our ushers would gladly get you one. Then we will begin this morning in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I believe it's going to be a good day for you. Dry bones are going to come alive, and I believe the things of God will encourage you. The Word of God will give us insight about God's heart for every one of our lives, even in the area of prayer. So where we go with this, when we begin here, that even if you look within the Lord's Prayer there in, in Matthew 6, we say this, Father God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Some translations say, Father God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. So literally in that phrase right there, we're, we're asking for mercy from Father God in, in two arenas. Number one, my sins and the offenses or the unforgiveness I have toward other people. And I believe that highlights a lot of the prayer that you will begin to see and so we'll begin with that, and then we're going to move on to a couple other things here later on in prayer. So we begin, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said to him, I've, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer, and the reason I'm going to stop right there, because when we read these Old Testament passages like this, sometimes we have the thought that they prayed and it just happened. But in this situation, what took place here was it was literally months and months, and it turned into years, plural, before this prayer was answered. But it gives me a new insight on this as far as don't give up on your prayers. God has appointed time, and, and God's time doesn't click by our, uh, our clock. So don't quit on your prayers. God's still there, and so this is what's taking place. So he said to him, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Now, when you see the phrase there, my people, he's, he's talking to the Israelites. And he lists two things here. That he shuts up the rain. And it caused the pestilence, the locusts, to devour the land. The reason that he talks about these two issues is it was because of the consequences of sin. Because of their sin, this is what took place. Now guess what that does to you if, if your life is dependent on the rain and your crops. It'll get your attention real quick. And so what God does here is, again, he, he tells us it's a result of our consequences. But the very next verse, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, he gives us the remedy. Now watch this. If my people, woohoo, my people, my people. Now, Old Testament, that was written to the Jews. New Testament, that's written to us as Christians. If you're born again, you're part of God's people. So this is addressed to us. If my people, who are called by my name, will, will humble themselves, that means to turn from their sin, 
and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. Now, when you read what God wants to do, it was conditional that these guys had to understand that the stipulations for Israel to be healed. Now, when you look at this here, God's desire is not only to heal your family, to heal your city, but God's desire is to heal an entire nation. And so something happens when the people of God begin to obey God. And if you'll get in there, part of that was doing a 180 from our sin. And what I mean to do a 180 from our sin, that means that we do completely the opposite. We turn from it because rooted within sin is consequences that God doesn't want us to have to walk in, but it's because of disobedience. And so God is a loving God, but he's also a holy God. Now, turn with me back in the New Testament to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and, and several times this morning, you're probably going to hear me reference this, but sin is a prayer assassin. Unforgiveness is a prayer assassin. They'll stop our prayers dead in their tracks. Now, I'm going to make a statement right here that you may want to write down that, that God's love cannot embrace what His holiness condemns. God's love won't override what His holiness condemns. So again, in, in that setting here, again, God's a God of love, but He's also a God that's holy. And so there's desires for every one of us that he wants to live by. Now, we go to the book of Acts chapter 8. There's a man who was viewed as an as a, a evangelist possibly named Philip. And Philip goes into a region of Samaria and he begins to preach the gospel, the word of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, understand this, that when it goes into Samaria, Samaria was the first ones that began to hear the word of God outside of the Jews. This was significant because they were hated and despised by the Jews. But actually, when you read Acts 8, it's a fulfillment of Acts 1, verse 8. And so we begin to see the word of God go into effect right here. So we begin Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man who had been in Samaria called Simon, who previously had practiced sorcery or witchcraft in the city. And he astonished the people of Samaria. Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. And so he's into witchcraft. And not only is he into witchcraft, he's full of himself. Verse 10. To whom they all gave heed. Why did they give heed? From the least to the greatest, saying, This man has the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries or witchcraft for a long time. He must have had some incredible manifestations. Verse 12, but when they, the people of Samaria, believed Philip as he preached the things concerning to the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Woohoo, something begins to happen. When people who had never heard the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, they begin to hear that word and they got born again and they got water baptized. God still does that to these days. That's why it's important we preach the word of God. He goes on to say, verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed, and he was baptized. 
And he, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now remember, Philip was godly. He was doing these in the name of Jesus. He was doing it for the kingdom of God. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to him. Now it's an interesting little phrase there. They received the word of God. It's one thing for me and you to hear the word of God. It's another thing to receive it. So to receive the word of God, you're saying, I yield to it, Lord. I surrender to obey your word. Keep reading. Who, when they'd come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he, it's interesting, they called the Holy Spirit a he. They didn't call him an it. They called him a he. You know why they called him a he? Because it's a person of God. He's the Holy Spirit. And yet he had not fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, so they had been water baptized. Verse 17. Then they, the disciples, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I'm not highlighting that this morning. I'm not pr pr preaching on the Holy Spirit. But it is biblical for people of God that are filled with the Holy Spirit to lay hands on others to be filled with the Spirit of God. How do we know it's biblical? Because this verse right here. Keep reading. And when Simon saw that through the laying, in on the, the laying on of the apostles' hand, the Holy Spirit was given. Now, this is interesting right here because Simon evidently saw some outward manifestation that, that convinced him that these Samaritan con converts had received the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. He realized something took place. Keep reading. That's not where we're headed, but just a little thought for you. And he offered them money. He offered them money. Keep reading. Saying, give me this power also, that on anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, this is a harsh rebuke. He said, your money perish with you. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. But in our society, everything can be purchased with money. We think. But in this situation, think about this. Money can't buy salvation. Money can't buy forgiveness. And money sure can't buy the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in every one of those, salvation, forgiveness, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit... How do you get that? Do you earn it because you went to church every day for a year? No. You hear the scriptures and you believe the scriptures and you receive with your heart that you say, you know what, I believe the word of God. So that's how God's kingdom works over and over. So he rebukes him for thinking he can buy these things with money. Now, this is where we're headed today. Or this for a little bit in this passage. Verse 21. Or Yeah, verse 21. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Why? For your heart is not right in the sight of God. He didn't say your, your bank account. He didn't say your flesh. He said your heart. Your inner self. The, the real you or me. See, we can fool people on the outside, but what's really in our heart? And so right here, this, this guy named Philip, he says... 
I see what's wrong. I see your heart. Your heart's wrong. And so that's what happens to every one of us. When our hearts are out of line with the things of God, it'll show up. And so he said, your heart's wrong. Bad heart, bad fruit. Verse 22. Now here's the remedy. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness. Now I I believe verse, verse 22 right here, this needs to be etched in our hearts. Repent for your wickedness. Now again, this this wasn't him slapping them, saying, come on, get your stuff together. He understood that repentance was the only way to free us from a life of disobedience or sin or even a hard heart. Now look at the next thing he says. Repent from your wickedness and pray. Wow, what a novel idea. Pray. And he says, pray to God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. And so the key right here is when the grips of sin cry to control every one of our lives. The way out of darkness is to obey the scriptures. To learn to repent and say, God, I, I blew it. And I believe this, the greatest way of repentance is you call it to God exactly as it is. You say, Father God, I blew it in this area of my life. I stole, I lied, whether it was the sins of my eyes, the sins of my hands. But he said, repent and pray. Verse 23. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So what he does right here. He identifies the root that's causing the problems within his heart. If I don't get to the root, it'll never change my fruit. Now many of you will understand this in this sense. That in this spring coming up, when your lawn starts coming up, you get these things called dandelions. And what happens with these dandelions, you can go out with the mower and you can give them a haircut. You can whack their head off. How many of you have ever done that? I've done that. But guess what? The next month it comes back and it's almost like those rascals are stronger and thicker they are. So if I don't go down and I don't get them by the root, nothing ever changes. That's the same with us as humans. So right here he identifies and the first thing he says, he says, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. You are full of bitter jealousy. Understand, bitterness is a a byproduct of unforgiveness. So when I I allow bitterness to start taking place in my life, danger comes with tolerated unforgiveness in my heart. When I embrace unforgiveness, guess what happens? It'll start corrupting you. And this guy named Simon, he was bound by unforgiveness. I want you to stop just a second. Does that define you right now? Is there there a root of bitterness within you toward another human being? Toward a parent, toward an aunt, toward an uncle? Is there a root of unforgiveness that you have even toward God? And this is what he's getting at. And then he said, you're bound by iniquity. 
Iniquity is deep entrenched sin that's become a, a pattern within your life. And so what happens with iniquities, it literally will hold you captive. And so the, the root of bondage right there was two things. Unforgiveness and sin. We got quiet in here. So now I have to analyze my own heart. Not your heart. I have to look into my heart and say, is there unforgiveness within me? If there's sin within me? And it's interesting in verse 22, and I want to highlight this again. This is the remedy. God said, if we would repent of our wickedness and pray. And so God right here, he's telling us what his desire for us to do. And that's the way we get rid of both of them. So I don't know where you're at today. But again, unforgiveness and sin are prayer assassins. Both of those, right? they'll stop your prayers right in their tracks. But pastor, you don't know what they've done to me. You're right. But forgiveness doesn't matter what they've done to you. I'm not denying they haven't hurt you. But if I don't heed the things of God, it'll stop me. And I'm not denying things didn't happen to you. But it's not an avenue to let me out. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. Now as you're turning there, again, when I repent and I turn from that, that bitterness, it's the means of restoration. God will begin to restore you. Now I'm going to Ephesians 6 here. And where this goes, that it will ultimately take us in, into forms of prayer but I, I want to highlight some things here today that will give you some biblical knowledge on some things you might go into that you're going to have to combat them in the area of prayer. So we begin Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, my brethren, that's believers. He's talking to us as church folk. Be strong in the Lord. And the power of his might. Draw your strength and your power from the Lord. Not from you, but from the Lord. So in saying that right there, would it be biblical then for me to ask in prayer, Father God, I, I need your strength and your power today. Absolutely it's biblical. We've got to do that. So why is this so important? Verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God. That you, and you may want to highlight you, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the ambushes, the deceits of the devil. Now interesting, get back here to this. Who did he say would have to stand against you? It's part of being a Christian. And so God's given us all the means and resources that we're going to need. But again, when you look at this, we are engaged in a battle. How do you know that? Keep reading verse 12. For we do not wrestle or fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I know I read that fast because it's a mouthful. Verse 12 is the demons that used to be the angels in heaven. How's that, Pastor? 
Remember when Lucifer, the devil, was in heaven and he rebelled against God and God expelled him and God cast him to the earth? A third of the angels went with him. The third of those angels that with him are all these little knuckleheads right here in verse 12. That's who that is. So again, when it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the wrestling right here is this right here. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war. Keep reading. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. Why? That Here it is again. That you, it doesn't say Jesus, Jesus already done what he's going to do. But that you may be able to withstand, and that verb withstand there suggests vigorously opposing, bravely resisting, and standing face to face. That you may be able to withstand in the day of evil, and having done all to stand. He doesn't want you to fall down. He doesn't want to get you to knock down. And so when we look at this right here, the army, it represents here that we are engaged in an active battle right now. But we have the means to live victoriously. Number one, by the victories that took place on the cross. Number two, the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus. And I'm going to get to the last one here in a minute. But the last one is aggressive prayer. And I highlight the word aggressive prayer. And some of you in here right now are in crazy, crazy, crazy spiritual battles. That's why I'm reading this. And I'm going to have to get aggressive in my prayers. So I look at this passage here in Ephesians 6 verse 12. And it, it talks about all the demonic forces. And I don't know that you've ever really been aware. Some people think, oh, pastor, that stuff doesn't exist anymore. If you have that thought, you're extremely deceived. Because we read the Bible, what it says, that we're actively engaged in this warfare. Plus, also, over and over, the Bible talks about the devil. A great reference, John 10, 10, the thief, which is the devil, comes and his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to rip you off everything you've got. So people that think the devil's their friend, he's not your friend. He hates your guts. Number two, he's not a little bitty uh, Hollywood figure that walks around with this red cape on and pokes people in the rumpus. It's not who he is. So I'm in a, I'm in a meeting on Thursday morning with one of the men in our church. And he said, man, Pastor, I'm so glad to see you. He said, I got something to show you today. And so we begin the conversation, and he begins talking, and he says, I, I put up four video cameras within the areas of my house because I have some valuables in there I just want to protect. So he said, it, it films in four different locations. So over the, uh, the holidays, he said he's out to eat with family, and all of a sudden, his phone lights up, and there's movement in section four. And so right there on his phone, he can pull it up. And so he looks over at his wife and says, someone's in our house. So he says, check this out, Pastor. 
So he pulls this video up on his phone and he hits plays and he looked, shows it to me. And I looked at him and said, I, I don't see anything. He hits it again and he shows it to me. And I, 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 don't, I don't see what you're wanting me to see. He does it three times. And finally he says, look right in front of my couch. Right here. So he pulls up the video and he shows it. And, and right in front of his couch, there, there's a, a spot about this big, like the size of a small pillow. And it, it's, this, it's this black mob of something right there on the floor. And he said, focus on that right there. Watch this. Watch this. And he hits the button. And all of a sudden, that, that little black mob, whatever that thing was, it takes off. And all I can see it, it goes around and goes down a hallway. And I said, play that again. And he plays it again. I said, play it again. And he played it for me three or four more times. And I said, that's an evil spirit, wasn't it? He said, yeah, it was. And he said, what's crazy, Pastor, is he said, it triggered my cameras with movement. And I said to him next, I said, where did he go when he went down that hallway? And he said, it went into one of our bedrooms. And I said, why did it go in that bedroom? And he said, because of sin. And I said, did you run him out? And he said, I hadn't done anything yet. And this is what birthed this within me. I said, you have spiritual authority. You go in there in the name of Jesus and you bind that, that junk up and you remove that from your house. How would that look for us as believers? Now, I'm, I'm, skipping, I'm skipping all the armor, okay? There's a ton of it in there, verses 14, 15, 16, 17. You can read that. But today, I just want to highlight verse 18. I'm going to come back to this in a couple of weeks, I think. Verse 18. Look at this. This is part of your armor. Praying always with all prayer. The Amplified right there says, on all occasions or every season. I'm to pray. I'm to pray. In good days, bad days, mad days, sad days, terrible. I'm to pray on all occasions in every season. And supplication in the Spirit. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What an admonition. And when I look at this, Ephesians 6.18 prayer may be one of the most overlooked parts of the armor of God that every one of us have been given in here. Let me help you a little bit with the significance of this. Today, many of you will watch football. I'm out of my zone. They got me boxed in now with this live stream. So we'll watch football today. Now I want you to see this analogy right here. And I, I don't know who you're for, but I know every one of you in here watch football know who Tom Brady is. So don't throw stones. I'm just using him, okay? And so what would we think on the first day of, or the first play of scrimmage when Tom Brady comes running out? 
And he didn't have his helmet on or any shoulder pads. We would look like he's going to get killed. He's a fool. What does he think he's going to do? But in that sense, how many of us go through this thing called life on a daily basis and we don't take the helmet of salvation? We don't put on the breastplate of righteousness. We don't even pray. And then we wonder why we're getting kicked around. We're getting uh, killed and destroyed in this thing called life. And so right here, the apostle Paul in this teaching, he gives us great significance. i got to pray. Some of you are in spiritual battles, and, and I sense this. I sense it at the altar in the first service. Some of you are going to have to fight. It's called fight the good fight of faith. But again, I'm not fighting with flesh and bones. I'm not fighting with my, I'm fighting in the spirit realm. And that's prayer that perseveres. That's prayer that goes and it stands and it stands. And to give you a biblical illustration of that, go to 1 Samuel 30. Oh, I got to hurry. 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30. So I'm looking at all this through everything that happened through even Wednesday morning and, and that video. And you know what? If I get permission, I'm going to show you that video. I got around, I got around Shelly later on that day, and I said, dear, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this video, it, it moved me how real the spirit realm is. It's real. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is how we fight our battles. Verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. I'm, I'm going to stop. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. You know why I'm stopping? Because I hear pages still turn. That blesses me. <laughs> okay. Now it happened when David and his men returned, when his men came to Ziklag. Understand this. Ziklag is David's home right now. He lived in this area for, for about 13 months, okay? So they're on their way home from Ziklag. On the third day, what had taken place, they had gone to raid other villages for um, three days and they are coming back home. And that the Amalekites invaded the south in Ziklag and they attacked Ziklag and they burned it with fire. So when you look at this right now, this is a personal assault from the enemy. And this thing called Ziklag, some of you may be in Ziklag right now, presently. You may say right now, there, there's assaults that are coming against me right now from the enemy. But here's what I want to highlight. All of us in this thing called life are going to have Ziklag experiences. Pastor, don't speak that over. I'm just telling you the fact, Jack, okay? None of us are exempt from that. We're all going to face Ziklag experiences. Some more extreme than others, but we're all going to face Ziklag experiences. Verse 2. And they had taken captive the women and those who were with them from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them all away and they went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Now what I want you to do here, you're in the story now. Your home is Ziklag. You get off work. 5 o'clock, you drive home, and you turn on your street, and your house is at the end of the block in a cul-de-sac, and you look down at the end of the street, and you see smoke arising. And you get down there, and you walk up, and everything that you own, 
wife, children, everything. My possessions are gone. Wiped out. Now, I can stand before you and tell you this right now. I've had bad days before, but I've never had a day like that. This is how bad it was. Everything he has. And so when that happens, it it literally tries tries to squeeze the hope out of every one of us. Keep reading. Verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him, they lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And that, that moves me. Man, for somebody to weep until they had, they had no more power to weep. All their tear ducts are gone. I mean, it shows you the pain they're in. Now, I want to highlight something here, too. These guys that are weeping like this, these guys aren't a bunch of pansies. These guys aren't a bunch of sissies. These are guys who are notoriously, they'll cut your head off. And so again, when I read this, I, I sense the pain that's within them like, oh, my, my children, my, my wife, it's gone. Keep reading. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. I bet so. He was greatly distressed, comma. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Now, no, wait just a minute. He's hurting. He's lost everything just like all of them. But human nature is this, or the nature of the flesh, is when something bad happens to us, It's very easy to get over and start blaming someone else. But when I live in that motive of I'm blaming this one or I'm blaming that one, the root of bitterness starts trying to come in. And I believe this is what we can get at right here. And when the root of bitterness comes in, it'll ruin you. It'll ruin your health, your mind, your emotions, and even your relationships. But when I make the decision to forgive people from my heart, I sever that immediately. Now, let me ask you something right now. Again, are you bitter or angry at someone right now in your life? You mad at God? The Lord Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, he said, it's impossible that offenses don't come. Impossible that offenses don't come. Impossible. One of the guarantees of life. You know what a couple other guarantees of life are? You're going to pay taxes and you're going to die. Guarantee. <laughs> Just a little side note. So when I read it's impossible that offenses aren't going to come, we realize it's not if offenses comes, it's this. What am I going to do when offenses come? What am I going to, am I going to hang on to it? And so right here, David, you talk about all hell broke loose. He loses everything, and now they want to stone him. We used to sing a song years ago, and it went like this. Uh, uh, when, when you catch hell, don't, don't hold it. If you're going through hell, don't stop. If you can't hell, don't hold it. What does that mean, Pastor? Just walk right on through the valley of death. Don't stop there and camp out. Move on through that junk. 
How do we do that? Watch this guy right here named David. Watch this. Verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How did he do that? I believe when it says he strengthened, many translations say he encouraged himself in the Lord. So you know what that would be? I changed my focus. I changed my focus on everything that surrounded me. All the negative. I've lost my wife, my kids. Everybody wants to stone me. And I begin to focus on the greatness of God. I get my eyes on Father God. And I begin to look to Father God. And I begin to talk about how I encourage myself in the Lord. I begin to remind myself how great my God is. My God can do anything. My God's a God who's more than enough. Ooh, he's the great Jehovah. And so I believe that's what he began to do. I believe he started reminding himself. I remember when that big hairy Goliath came at me. I cut his head off. Lions and tigers and bears. Who cares? Encourage himself in the Lord. Keep reading. Verse 7. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. Now understand this. When David would tell Abathar, bring the ephod, Abathar knew David means business. They didn't break the ephod out just for the fun of it. And so understand this about the ephod. The ephod was, was like a vest that they would put on out over their outer garments. But on the inside of the ephod, there was a thing called the chest plate. And with the chest plate, it would go right over your heart. And so he would put that right over his heart. Like, Father God, I'm, I'm protecting my heart. My heart is looking at you. You're getting my total attention. And so it's like he would go into this tent and he would put that ephod on. And they knew not only did he mean business, but he wasn't coming out until he heard from God. God, you've got my total attention. You know what that means? He wasn't watching Sports Center. He wasn't watching the NFL playoff games today. He wasn't hanging out watching 10 movies today because he was in depression. Here's a good one. He wasn't on Facebook. He wasn't texting. He didn't call 1-800 up the creek. It was like a horse with blinders on. You know why they put those blinders on a racehorse? Because all he can do is look straight ahead. He's not distracted by what's over here, over here. And he's sure not distracted by what's behind him. And so it was like David had those blinders on. And he said, I, I got to hear from God. I, I got to hear from God. I'm not leaving until I hear from God. Verse number 8. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, and so when you see he inquired of the Lord, he goes in and he begins to pray. And he says this, he said, Lord, shall I pursue the troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail you shall recover all. And so he got an answer. And one of the worst days of his life, and I can read into the rest of the story for you, he recovered all. He got everything back. So you know what I realized what took place here? He got in there and prayed. And he said, Father God, I will not leave until I have a rhema. 
a spoken word for God. I got to pray and I got to stay with you, Lord. And I believe that's where we got to get back to. The same fight. Remember in Ephesians 6, 18, it said, pray on all occasions. What happens if we don't pray? And how can we expect God to move when we don't follow house rules? We've got to pray. You know, in Psalm 50, 15, King David said this. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I'll, I'll help. You know, every one of us in this room, our greatest prayer is four letters. H-E-L-P. i got to have your help, Father God. I need you. Do you know the, the time we stand the strongest? It's when I'm on my knees. I'm calling out to God. I'm looking to you to say, Father God, I, I got to have you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.